Back in the mid-1970s, my brother went off to college. He was the oldest of us three, I was the youngest. And one of the things that I always enjoyed doing was going up to pick up my brother from his university for a weekend and to take him back. Now, my brother did this trip fairly frequently because the university he attended was a commuter school, as they say, about 90 minutes from where we lived. And on the weekends, it absolutely emptied. There'd be no one at all in the dormitories or studying in the libraries or anything like that. So, understandably, my brother would come home frequently. So, one time, one of the first times, that I went up to pick him up. He gave me a, a tour of the dorm. He showed me one of the best features, the chocolate milk machine in the cafeteria, unlimited chocolate milk. I thought that made me want to go to college right there, and the rest of the campus. And sure enough, it was almost empty. It was a ghost town, even though at that point, it probably had 20,000 students easily. We then finally made it back to his dorm room. And it was a very typical mid-70s and earlier dorm room. Two people slept in, my brother and his roommate. Beds on opposite walls, the whole room being maybe 10 by 12 feet. Beds, desk, bookcase, door. That was it, bathroom down the hall. But my brother's roommate had an awesome stereo. Now, again, back in the mid-70s, that meant a whole lot of fairly large boxes plugged together with various cords and wires and a whole lot of money invested into making a fantastic sound. And this stereo had a feature that I'd only heard about, I'd never seen, an eight-track player. <laughs> now, those of you who have never experienced an eight-track player, it has pretty good sound, but the major feature was the tape ran on a continuous loop inside a cartridge. So, in theory, it was idiot-proof. I would test that. In theory, it was idiot-proof. You just put the cartridge in, hit play, and it went. Track after track after track. Sort of like nowadays putting a CD into repeat or a track from iTunes, wherever it might be that you might hit the retreat button, repeat button. So, my brother's roommate had one of my favorite albums, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, I remember that much. I forget which album it was, but I had Taken Care of Business, which is a long song on the album. So put that in, listen to it till we got to Taking Care of Business, and that was a happy clam ready to drive my brother home. By this point, he gathered up everything he had to take home, dirty laundry, and off we went. Had a great weekend, drove him back about 48 hours later, arrived back in the dorm, still completely empty. But as we came onto his floor, we heard music. And thought, someone must be here. My brother said, who came back early? This is amazing. It's only five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. There's someone else here already. We got closer to my brother's dorm room and the music was louder. Finally opened the door. The music was coming from the eight track tape. We had unintentionally put this eight-track tape through an endurance test of about 48 hours. It still sounded decent, just a little bit distorted. It wasn't completely <laughs> But you could kind of tell it had been stretched 
a little bit. So it's a little bit of taking care of it, sort of. My brother did replace the tape. He uh, was scared of his roommate for various reasons. <laughs> I figured that was the smart thing to do. I think of this story of the old tape running and getting distorted. When I read this morning's gospel about the, what we now call the transfiguration of Jesus, and I think about it particularly in terms of Peter's offer to make, as it's translated here, three dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now, us reading it today, we can think, man, that was just off the wall, idiotic to suggest. But Peter was playing an old tape because the term that we hear a few verses before in which it says Elijah and Moses were talking to Jesus about Jesus' departure to Jerusalem, departure towards being crucified, that term was the same term as Exodus. And Exodus in the scriptures that Peter knew so well, as hopefully we do today, is the story of the Israelites fleeing Egypt under the leadership of Moses, escaping slavery, and years and years later, coming to the Holy Land. And to this day, many faithful people remember that very holy event by building dwellings, by building usually what's called a booth today, which is sort of like a 4,000-year-old tent. It's usually made with sticks and branches as a cover and that sort of thing, maybe fabric. And so Peter was not saying something completely stupid. Instead, he was simply saying, this is a holy moment that reminds us of the Exodus, and therefore I will do what we always do when we remember the Exodus in a holy way. I will build a booth. And I won't build just one, I'll build three, because this is a holy, holy, holy moment. So Peter was not being off the wall. He was pulling out of what he knew to try to acknowledge and preserve this moment. And what happens? God's voice appears from a cloud that, and says, this is my son, listen to him. Peter was listening to the old tape. Peter was listening to a tape that was getting a little bit distorted. Peter was listening to what he knew rather than paying attention to what he should have been learning. He was paying attention to what was something from years past rather than listening to the voice of God and seeing this marvelous moment for what it was, something brand new something that had not happened before, something that was telling Peter and James and John and now us something new about the world, something new about God, something new about love. And this is important for us today because we also, again and again, run the old tapes. We do it within ourselves. We think about the silly things, the harmful things, People told us when we were younger, you're not tall enough, smart enough, athletic enough, pretty enough, handsome enough, whatever the tape, tape might be that gives us fear and hesitation about love, particularly about loving the people around us, 
and loving the strangers among us and loving people in the name of Christ. There are lots of tapes that every one of us carries that says that's at best a foolish thing to do, at worst a dangerous thing to do. Those old tapes, though, have to be ejected and tossed out. Because what this morning's gospel is about, and of course all of Christ's message for us, is about loving people even when we're afraid. And loving people even when it goes against what we think we know is true and practical and traditional. This transfiguration moment revealed God's love for us in a way that was absolutely amazing and tremendous. And yet, like Peter, we often forget about it. Or at least try to slam it into a box where it can stay carefully controlled and contained. Because part of what this story is about, and if we read forward through the chapters of Luke, is spelled out is God loving the entire world. God loving every human. God loving people when they're messing up as well as when they're doing well. God loving and loving and loving. And yet within ourselves, our old tapes give us fear of doing that. Give us hesitations about doing that. Give us practical reasons not to do that. And if it's on an individual level, maybe a day or two of skipping loving others as ourselves won't do too much harm. But if we're not careful, our very institutions start to live out the old tapes of fear and injustice and exclusion. And what we're supposed to do is say, no, those tapes don't work anymore. They're stretched beyond recognition. The distortion of the gospel is too extreme. We have to be able to articulate, to be able to say, mostly through our actions, but also through our words, that God loves everyone, that God loves each of us and all of us. And sometimes in our personal walks, that can be hard to feel. And it's especially important at those moments to get to the holy places that remind us that we are beloved. Do the holy things that remind us of how much God loves us so that we can be once again ready to love so many people who have been so injured and damaged by life, sometimes intentionally, sometimes accidentally by other people and institutions. We are called to allow that transfiguration of Christ to transfigure ourselves as we prayed in the opening prayer. We are called to allow that kind of change to transform how we see the world, how we see the people around us, and how we see ourselves. We have to get rid of the old tapes and let God's love flow into us and out of us. I wish it was as simple as that to do, simple as saying that, but 
It's not terribly difficult because God's constantly fueling the process. It's not something we have to do all by myself. It's something that instead God is seeking to help us do each moment of our lives. But it is one of the reasons why we come to church. So that again and again, we can remember the fresh start we get through our prayers, through the Eucharist, through the being with other Christians, all the different ways in which a Sunday or an Ash Wednesday can inspire us, can inspire us to love, can inspire us to be our best selves, can inspire us to love the whole wide world. So as we walk towards Lent on Wednesday, and you might be thinking about if you've been a Christian for a long time, what should I give up for Lent? Well, you guessed it. Give up the old tapes. Eject them. Toss them. Don't let those distorted messages that run through our minds, sometimes subconsciously, distort how you live out your spiritual journey, how we live out our spiritual journey as a community. Instead, let God fill us. Let God fill us with grace and love, acceptance, forgiveness, all the gifts that God is longing to give each and every one of us and to give all of our churches so that God's love may be expressed and lived out and shared so that we as individuals, as institutions, as churches may be transfigured as Jesus was transfigured in this morning's gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.